0: this episode the downside of racing we're taking a deep dive into crashing how it happens when it's worth it and when it's time to move on that plus our big texas preview for the cup series playoff but first as always this is episode 84 of positive regression this is the dick trickle edition David, this will be a popular one. Where do we start? With the man or the legend? With the skill or with the attitude? Uh, the fact that this guy, Dick Trickle, was the Cup Series Rookie of the Year at age 48 and also apparently a grandfather at the time. Uh, I can tell you he made 303 Cup Series starts, a number of them, in a beautiful number 84 for the Stavola brothers, David. But what do we really want to talk about?
1: You know what? For me, because NASCAR fans that were just surface level fans took Dick Trickle's entry into NASCAR as sort of a lark, just this old guy making it happen. And he won Rookie of the Year. That was crazy. He was 48 years old when that happened. And Weirdly, when uh, Dave Marcus retired, he wanted to go younger, so he hired Dick Trickle, right? That was kind of a joke. And then if you were a a fan of SportsCenter back in its heyday, uh, Mr. Trickle was a favorite of Dan Patrick. He always made uh, certain on the Monday morning SportsCenter telecast to mention wherever Dick Trickle finished. It was a running gag, probably because of the name. But Alan, for me, I think Dick Trickle represents something beyond his NASCAR career at the short track level. He was the white knight. It has been said he won over 1500 features at the short track level. Uh, there's a really good, uh, stat resource site called the third turn that has him pegged for 68 wins in the art go challenge series. 32 wins in the ASA National Tour, 21 in the Red, White, and Blue Championship Series in Wisconsin, and of course, he was a four-time winner of the prestigious Slinger Nationals in Wisconsin. After his retirement from driving, he was made the all-time Grand Marshal for the Slinger Nationals, Grand Marshal every year (laughs) until his death, Uh, crazy. I I think I hit it Uh, when he died. I tweeted this out and I I must have deleted this tweet uh, somewhere along the line. But I wrote that he will be known by most fans for his Cup Series effort uh, as some sort of a late bloomer. But that is wrong. The Cup Series for him this late in his life was his victory tour. He was the Richie Evans analog For late models, just a consummate professional while being the life of the party and a mentor to so many, including Alan, your boy, Rusty Wallace. Oh, yeah. Midwestern,
0: you know, short track stuff. Hell yeah.
1: When, when when Trickle died, uh, Rusty Wallace uh, re- really put out a, a touching statement. He said that Dick Trickle was my mentor. When I was short track racing, I would call him every Monday morning, and he would always help me with race setups and stuff. He and I had such a good time telling stories, but he was the guy that taught me almost everything in the American Speed Association. Alan, Rusty won the ASA championship in 1983, second place in the standings that year was Dick Trickle. So a guy who raced everyone hard but fair and uh, really wasn't afraid to give tips, even if it uh, meant his downfall in uh, in the championship race.
0: I think you hit every single important point about Dick Trickle. I mean, just the, the grassroots fan base, right, that goes decades deep, the, the fandom, uh, the legend that grew out of it, right? Every time I hear the number of feature wins, it kind of goes up a little bit from 1,000 to 50. All that stuff, but it was all well earned. And then there's younger people, people of my generation, our generation. David, you know, you brought up the Sports Center thing. I'm glad you did because that's how a lot of people uh, know the name Dick Trickle, and and that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. That just leads and and adds to his legend. Remember, there's that video on YouTube of him smoking the cigarette in the race car, right? I mean, it's little things like that. It's whether do you believe the what is it, the myth or the the truth, or you know, whichever one is bigger, you know, go with that one. I think. There are just so many stories about Dick Trickle, so I- I'm glad we are uh, paying appropriate homage to him and his life. And um, I-, I just want to point out w- when we post this episode, David, my friend Jeremy Markovich wrote an excellent, excellent article uh, about Dick Trickle and his life. Uh, unfortunately, he took his own life. And um, it's very well written if you have not read it and uh, to know about the arc of what happened during his life and especially uh, toward the end. And so it's just a good reminder uh, of what Dick Trickle and who he was and uh, to keep mental health a priority as well sometimes. So I will make sure to link to that when we post this um, when we post this episode, David. Excellent.
1: And uh, and yes, please do read that. Uh, Dick Trickle, really, for me, I mean, coming to the Cup Series in 48, uh, certainly uh, a man of another time. But what he represented was so much more than a, a late in life NASCAR Cup Series career.
0: All right. Episode 84 of Positive Regression, the Dick Trickle Edition. Let's get it started, David. We talk a lot about performance on this podcast, much of it on the good end, right? Like production, passing, who's the best restarter, all of that, all the skillful side of things. Well, this week we're going to talk about the other side, crashing. And uh, what sparked my interest in this, David, is something listeners may remember from earlier this season. We were talking a lot about John Hunter Nemechek's hot start to the season, especially for a rookie. Uh, probably running beyond expectations, doing well. I believe you wrote an article, you talked to Front Row GM Jerry Freeze, uh, about John Hunter Nemechek's uh, performance, how the finishes he was putting in. And even though there was the occasional crash, I guess the logic went, look, if you're competing for good finishes like top 15s, you can put up with an occasional crash. Well, fast forward to the end of the season right now. David, John Hunter Niemicek is on track to lead the Cup Series this season in crashing. And while he was once competing for those good finishes at the beginning, that's no longer the case. So bigger picture, smaller picture, what have you. I was just wondering how much leeway does a driver get when it comes to crashing? And there's there's a few ways we can tackle this subject. First thing I want to ask you, David, is when it comes to a driver crashing, how much of that do you think is on a driver's shoulders in terms of his or her decision making? Ooh, that, that is a great question. And I think a good example
1: of that we saw in the Xfinity race last weekend in Kansas, uh, it, you pointed out, we, we, text each other during, during the race, <laughs> sure. Alan and I, and, and Alan pointed out the incident between Austin Sendrick and Noah Gregson. Uh, it was a little bit early to be that aggressive for, uh, for Austin Cindric. It was a little early, to not allow any give on Noah Gragson's part, and I, I think that was uh, that was one. There was another no crash, I'll call it, but it it could have been a crash. Justin Allgaier going three wide bottom beneath Riley Herbst, and I I texted you about that, and I said that that is a tough one. It, it didn't it, it it did not end up. In an accident, but it was a good example of just a lack of awareness. Riley Herbst is on track to becoming the most frequent crasher in the Xfinity series. Justin Allgaier, a little bit older. He should know better than to do that, uh, but still did so. There are spots within a race where you have to be aware of the drivers around you, what those drivers are attempting to do, giving the fickle nature of air. Yeah, a lot of times you see these accidents. We've had an entire episode called, if you're in the crash, it's your fault. (laughs) Uh, I try not to be a hardliner on any subject, but, but this I'm, I'm pretty close at it. If, if you are in an accident, more than likely it could have been avoided. That isn't always something that someone at home can observe, but think of the sequencing that led to some of those incidents. That is where you can avoid a lot of these.
0: And you mentioning that just sparked something in my mind. For all of you who watched the truck race from Kansas, and a lot of you did, viewership was up 20%. Thank you very much. But if you were watching, you saw Raphael Lassard get out of it. Not, he had to lose a little bit of control. It ended with Tyler Ankrum on fire and out of the race and severely hurting his playoff hopes. I interview Tyler Ankrum live on television from the care center, show him the replay. And what does he say? It was the first time he'd saw it. Didn't really know what exactly happened. Well, a few rows in front of him, it was, he saw Raphael Lassard kind of squirrely and go up and hit the wall and, and start the accident. And he said, yep, Raphael had been kind of uh, out of control all day. And uh, that's totally kind of his fault, but what he was saying. And after the interview, Kurt Bush, who's in our booth, picked up and said, you know, it's good for Tyler Ankrum to realize what happened there. But he also said, I watched him be out of control all day. When you know that's in front of you, you have to be aware of that kind of putting the some of the responsibility on Tyler Ankrum himself, even though it wasn't really his fault, obviously, but as a driver, it, 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 it is on some of your shoulders to realize who you're around and who's in front of you and what could happen. So thank you for pointing that out, David. Yeah, Kurt
1: Busch of uh, avoid Ricky Stenhouse at all costs. I believe was the tweet last year. Um, no, that's a great observation. And sometimes it isn't just one uh, bad driver. I mean, you can if you listen to spotters, they'll they'll routinely tell their drivers, "Hey, this number car is coming up. He's he's been wild for the last few weeks." sometimes drivers just have really uh, squirrely races. They're on different tire pressures, their car has been uncharacteristically loose, and that's something if you're driving near them, uh, you can point out. Uh, Parker Kligerman once told me that every individual race is sort of like the first day of school, where you can tell whether a class is going to be uh, a class filled with good students, the teacher's good. It's going to be disciplined, or you can tell if this class is just going to be a disaster with uh, some folks acting up, and you kind of just get that sense. Well, as drivers get older and become more experienced, they've driven around the uh, the same drivers for a long time. They can pick up on these things, and then some drivers just completely lack that awareness, and that is apparently a learned trait. If you look at the the range of crashing per age, drivers tend to crash uh, when they're younger, and and they improve when they get older. Uh, just this season alone, Alan, twenty percent of all tallied accidents were comprised of these six drivers in the rookie of the aircraft. How
0: wow. about that? <laughs> Puts it in perspective. So let's, well, then let's bring it back to, again, what started this. Earlier in the year, John Hunter Nemechek putting down good finishes, maybe crashing, thumbs up. You can deal with it. John Hunter Nemechek leading the series in crashing at the moment, not putting in the good finishes. Thumbs down, David. How much leeway does a driver, rookie like John Hunter Nemechek get from his GM, sponsors, what have you?
1: As long as the team has the wherewithal, it could be a lot of leeway. John Hunter is still young. This is his age 23 season, but he's already one of the 15 most efficient passers in the series. And as we've discussed before, as you just mentioned now, he was competing for race results. And what Jerry Fries told me is when you're competing for top 15 finishes, when ordinarily, based on front row's history, they haven't, then there are those in the shop who say, okay, he's crashing a lot, but he's trying to get us finishes that we've never had before. So there, there is some leeway. That's something to build on. Where this all falls apart is that there is not a production number or peripheral stat or really anything suggesting that there is any upside. And another problem, and I'm not saying that this is happening to Front Row, but what if a team is running on a very thin profit margin or is in serious debt and simply cannot afford a driver with this kind of crash rate? Uh, last year, one team manager told me that while he loves Kyle Larson's driving ability, signing a driver like him with that crash rate Larson is a crasher is sort of out of the question the car damage would be too costly and given the team's stature, it isn't a playoff team it doesn't make financial sense. again they they understand the upside that Larson would bring to a race team but it's that crashing that they can't get over. so all this, is purely situational given the team's appetite around the driver or if it's a young driver the driver's growing pains.
0: So that was one specific example with John Hunter Nemechek. We'll do a few more coming up in a second, but I want to talk bigger picture first because David a few I think a few years ago you wrote an article I've been I've been following your work for a while now, but the article was about the number of cautions in the cup series and why they were down and one of the reasons you gave is that because maybe the most frequent crashers had eliminated themselves from the Cup Series, therefore there were fewer cautions. Can you shed some light on that?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to backtrack and think about that article. So yeah, around that time it would have been pre-stages, and yep, yep. it would have been it would have been some folks like Danica Patrick and Regan Smith, Brian Scott, Sam Hornish. Uh, there were some drivers towards the end of their Cup Series tenures. Maybe with mid-pack teams, Danica is a notable exception there. But they were they were coming in with some high uh, high clips, and you know, Alan, uh, a commonality they were so often in the middle of the field that those crashes swung fortunes, which in turn swung the net revenue for each of their teams. They were also older. They were not necessarily in their 40s, but they also weren't prospect age. So there wasn't the same leeway that we're seeing right now with John Hunter Niemicek. And drivers who crash a lot in their early 30s tend to get filtered out, just as drivers who turned in uh, negative production ratings you know, I wrote about this for Motorsports Analytics uh, in the last uh, few months. The sport has become hip to drivers who underperform, and it was really since the economic recession of 08 that the number of poor performers getting regular rides has dwindled, and that is the same for prolific crashers. And when they are no longer getting those rides. We see a
0: series-wide effect, such as a reduction in cautions. All right. Well, that made sense, and it just made it was an article I certainly remembered and, and was wondering about crashing. So let's take it back to this year when we think about the the high percentage crashers or, or the highest uh, frequency crashers of the year. There are some veteran names up there, David, in the Cup series uh, th- this year specifically, Ryan Newman. Matt Kenseth, and I'll throw Jimmy Johnson in there. Jimmy Johnson is a tap, top 10 crasher in terms of frequency in his final season. H- does that change your perception of these these older drivers who are, you know, obviously on the back end of their career, if not their final season in the Cup Series?
1: I think those are three very different situations now that I'm hearing you say their names out loud. With Jimmy Johnson, he has low-key been a high crasher for quite a while. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And again, I mean, that is somebody who's probably bought himself all the leeway with all the good he does, all the revenue he brought into Hendrick Motorsports uh, in his heyday. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's sort of where he stands. Ryan Newman is an interesting one. You know, we've, we've talked about his 2019 season, a very unlikely playoff run. And during that 26 race regular season stretch, after which he qualified for the playoffs uh, not via a race win, just on points, the, the old-fashioned way. He only crashed three times across that 26-race stretch, and when you have that pristine of a mark, yeah, that takes some skill to have that kind of awareness and avoid those crashes, but also, nah, eh, maybe some regression is in the cards. It is difficult to be that pristine all the time. Uh, the only driver that I can really think about pulling that off year after year, and it's wild because he might be one of the most aggressive drivers I've ever seen, is Kevin Harvick. The guy rarely crashes, and that's largely been the case for his entire Cup Series career. Um, he's really good, and it's that situational awareness that he has that separates him from certainly a lot of other drivers that were his age when he was coming up. Uh, And one of the reasons that he has lasted as long as he has is he never was in a situation where he was going to be filtered out. And as for Matt Kenseth, uh, we talked about this coming into this season after the season had already started. He had never seen this rules package before. He has not had much practice, if not at all. I think the Coca-Cola 600, right? Did they just qualify? Yeah, that was it. He hasn't had much time in between these cars and the figuring it out uh, portion to all of it has been very difficult. I think he was uh, the, he was the lone weeks,
0: caution in Kansas, right? I mean, by, right. by
1: himself. It was weird. You're right. And uh, I believe crashed during a caution at the Roval. So it has not been a two week stretch in which he's covered himself in glory. So three different situations, but also, um, if I may, I think three careers were probably coming to the end of, and um, it's these kinds of clips that will make teams second guess the decisions. Again, Jimmy's in his own stratosphere, but with someone like Ryan Newman, who does have a year or two left on his agreement with Roush Fenway, um, that might make Roush Fenway consider what they do next, uh, if we remember correctly. They were very quick to move on Chris Busher to replace Ricky Stenhouse last year. Stenhouse led the Cup Series in crashing. Chris Busher does not have that problem. So that is something that Roush Fenway has avoided from that team this year. But lo and behold, a new problem has popped up with Ryan Newman.
0: All right, those are the the highs, if you will, and not a good high. Uh, But let's look at the other end, the lows. Someone like Daniel Suarez, who was in an interesting situation uh, this season with Gaunt Brothers Racing, right? Didn't make the Daytona 500, but since then... A very low crash rate, crashing at a low clip in one of those back marker teams that you would think needs. You've been talking about uh, budgets and inventory, if you will, a team that doesn't have a huge budget and not much inventory and can't afford much crashing. Daniel Suarez has done what he has needed to do. Is that something of a a conscious decision-making? Is that a skill that had to be adjusted to make this work this year, David? How do you assess Daniel Suarez and what he's done this year or not done in terms of crashing?
1: I think in that sense, it's been remarkable because there was never a guarantee that he was going to properly adjust his driving for a back marker car. the reason I don't think any of us thought he'd be able to do it is because we've never seen him in a backmarker car before. He's had great equipment uh, coming up through uh, what is now Arca East into trucks with KBM and Joe Gibbs Racing and Stuart Haas. He's had cars carry him and he's been the one uh, with uh, bringing a, a large portion of the sponsor funding. And that's kind of the same here, but he did, he did have to adjust. When the season began, Gaunt Brothers Racing had 3 cars in their shop at the uh, the time of the Suarez announcement. And weirdly, this entire season for GBR is probably going to be defined by the crash in the dual race that cost them a Daytona 500 spot, which is a shame because that's really not the season that Suarez has turned in. I think now with Suarez moving to uh, the new track house team owned by Justin Marks, we can ascertain that it's going to be something of a competitive upgrade given the alliance with Richard Childress Racing. I think you have to feel pretty good about that given what Suarez had to do. He he knew there was no safety net. This season at GBR, that is a small race team. They've never taken on a full schedule like they have uh, this year, Um, but he did adjust it. And I think he's made proper do with it, all things considered.
0: Adjusting and adapting, that's a a skill in its own right. Uh, We touched on him a little earlier, but let's, let's talk about prospects. We're going down to the Xfinity series now. Uh, where there is a host of prospects crashing at a high clip. David, if you if you go be if you when you look at the numbers on MotorsportsAnalytics.com, you take away Austin Hill and Cesar Baccarella, and uh, you take them off the top of the list. The top ten most frequent crashers, David, Riley Herbst, Noah Gregson, Michael Annette, Daniel Hemrick, and his limited starts, Brandon Brown, Mide Snyder, and Justin Allgaier are all on the list of most frequent crashers. In the Xfinity series, I mean, th- those are all contenders, and and they're crashing, right? Uh, that those numbers surprised me uh, again with Noah Gregson and Riley Herbst uh, on top of the list. Uh, how do you evaluate uh, those drivers who you know want to make a name for themselves and move up if they are damaging equipment?
1: They're both incredibly young. They right now are not fully formed race car drivers. That is. At least, what we're told is the function of the Xfinity series and racing at the "quote unquote" minor league levels. But it's been difficult, and we've seen that lack of awareness on display. We've seen it on display with each other. They have they have wrecked each other uh, multiple times uh, this year, famously at Texas, and then again later this year at the uh, at the Roval. It is something that you have to monitor. It's the reason that these drivers stick in the Xfinity series for as long as they do or need to before they get to Cup, before they are the closest version to a polished prospect. Neither of of these two are there yet, but that's not so much an indictment on them as it is just sort of the nature of racing in a lower division. Uh, I, I remember attending a lot of late model events during my time as a scout, uh, the night before the snowball derby, there is a race called the snowflake 100. And, uh, I sat in the stands just like all the other fans and, I, um, actually struck a, a conversation with, uh, uh, one fan in the stands. He asked what I did. I explained everything and he was impressed and assumed that I had zero rooting interest in this race. And I said, no, you're out of your mind. It's 40 <laughs> degrees. I'm rooting for no red flags. That's <laughs> what I'm rooting for. You do get used to seeing some bad driving at times, some poor awareness. But if that is what the series is set up to do, you're going to have to come to expect it. It's when drivers like a Daniel Hemrick or a Justin Allguyer, who let's be honest, should know better than some of these situations that they're putting themselves in, uh, that's when it can get particularly frustrating. And with a young driver, again, it goes back to leeway. Uh, You have to expect that they are going to crash cars. Statistically, that's what they do. But they are going to have to get to a point where they snap out of that and become fully productive drivers, regardless of the series, regardless of the track.
0: Uh, while we're talking prospects, shout out to Sheldon Creed on the truck side. I don't if you, you might remember a, a fun winner's interview where he told me on live television how he, he tears up a lot of shit. And this year he started winning though, and he thanked uh, Maury Gallagher and everybody back at the shop for sticking with him because for a while he was a dart without feathers. So it just made me think of that, David. It was a pretty funny moment from the year. Um, sticking with the Xfinity series though, uh, Fringe Driver who doesn't crash a lot. Alex LeBay, you wanted to point out. Why him, David?
1: Well, there's a lot to like here, and he doesn't uh, get a lot of uh, proper due on the telecast. That sort of comes with being a a mid-pack runner, but he's an efficient passer. Over 65 positions earned for his Mario Gosselin team this season on the racetrack. His peer is bordering on 1.0, and he hardly crashes. Just six crashes for Alex LeBay this season, only one of them terminal. His only weakness is restarts, and some of that is the car, but he is finding himself more and more inside the top 14 on a regular basis. And at some point, a 27% retention rate, that Ooh, is bad, Yep, needs improving <laughs> Uh, if he's going to do uh, anything at all with his career. But uh, but crashing, not one of them. It's a driver without elite equipment, elite speed, but he is taking care of that equipment and seems to be getting a lot out of it.
0: Uh, I want to throw Ryan Sieg into that conversation, too, because with the limited resources and equipment that he has, uh, amongst drivers with all the starts, David, Ryan Sieg, a bottom two crasher this season. And look what he's doing with those opportunities. I and mean, That's the kind of thing... Look, you, I mean, honestly, it's the kind of thing you hope cup owners would, would look at or just bigger teams would look at in terms of what he's doing with his equipment, and bringing it home clean. You know, he's 33 years old, so maybe he doesn't get the looks that he deserves. But credit where it's due, obviously, with not only his finishes, but not tearing up the, the valuable equipment that he has
1: also a team owner, so he is probably very aware of how much any damage would cost and is going out of his way to avoid that. So yeah, hats off to Ryan Sieg.
0: Good stuff. Good discussion. We Again, we talk a lot about the good and the production. We also got to talk about the other side of it sometimes and uh, what crashing means and how it affects uh potential career. So good discussion there, David. Let's move on to our Texas preview. And once again, we have a sponsor. Our Texas preview is sponsored by Craft Beer Club. Craft Beer Club is the original craft beer of the month club, searching for the exceptional craft beers from around the country to deliver right to your front door. Each shipment
1: includes 12 beers from among the best microbreweries in America, many of which have earned top awards. You can customize your own ongoing beer club membership, whether it's annually, monthly, or quarterly. There is no membership fee. The holiday season is quickly approaching. A membership to Craft Beer Club makes for a wonderful original gift that beer lovers are sure to enjoy. Shipping is always free. And if you purchase using the link beer.posregpod.com, you'll receive up to three bonus gifts with your order and you will help support our podcast so please take advantage of the offer join craft beer club today place your order at that's posregpod. that's
0: Boom, heading to Texas, play race two of the Cup Series playoff for round three. And David, it was pointed out to me that this is the last competitive race at Texas uh, until what next year, because they go to the all star race. They're not the two cup races at Texas next year. So uh, just something to think about. But. If you go back to last week's episode, David, you had such great, I think the word is prescient comments about what we were going to see in Kansas, how difficult it would be to pass for a position, and what did we see? A widely, what some myself saw entertaining end to the Kansas race and uh, widely talked about uh, end of the Kansas race because of what Kevin Harvick was trying to do and ultimately could not do at the end of that race. So let's bring that discussion to Texas as we preview the weekend. How difficult will it be again to pass for position? And was Joey Logano's win thanks to clean air or really good positioning and/or strategy?
1: Oh, uh, you're really beating the drum uh, for Joey Logano. I am, on, uh, and I'll continue. The social medias. Uh, I listen. I will say, 68 miles of driving through his rearview mirror. That is a difficult task. A skill. But I will. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I will suggest. Without this rule package in place, as is, Joey Logano's spoiler placed right smack in front of Kevin Harvick's nose. That took Harvick's nose away. If not for the package, that becomes a non-factor, maybe. Uh, Certainly, it would be uh, very tough for Logano to have kept Harvick at bay. You know, Joey had the eighth fastest car Texas And Kevin Harvick had the fastest car, including the fastest car in the fourth quarter. None of this is a surprise. We have seen this dynamic at the front of the field all season, whether it was Kurt Busch at Las Vegas or Austin Dillon at Texas. The lead car can dictate a lot of the race and prevent a lot of those runs, even when it is a significantly faster car. Behind it, remember Joey Logano was actually in Harvick's position at Texas. He couldn't figure out a way to get by Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick on old tires. So, yeah, uh, put uh, think about that one if you will.
0: Yeah, and it's something we'll be thinking about again. Another thing to throw in, another uh, wrench to think about, if you will. The tire compound this weekend is different from the one we saw in the summer. At Texas so David what can we expect from that Uh, again the right side tire they used they'll be using this weekend is the same one they used at Kansas and Vegas two races we've already mentioned Uh, if you want to look back to last week uh, a few pit stops to go Logano did take two tires and got himself a ton of track position Paul Wolf I think jumped him from 14th to uh, the front row because of that two-tire stop, and Joey Logano ultimately goes on to win the race. Pretty good there. And if we remember Kurt Busch, how did he get the lead at Vegas? Was that a long pit? I don't know. Do you remember? Uh, the, the, I mean, they were able to get Kurt Busch in position to defend from the, the front of the field, and that's what it takes.
1: Yeah, long-pitting situation at Las Vegas caught a very strange cadence of cautions that trapped the field, uh, made them take the wave around, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. But for Texas... New tire. I asked uh, Brad Kozlowski about this on uh, one of these recent media availabilities. And we're expecting certainly more tire wear, but in the event of a long green flag run, pitting along should still be the choice call. As he put it, it dramatically changes how the car handles. He said that the tire that they used on mile and a half earlier this year mattered to the balance of the car, whereas the tire they used at the same tracks last season mattered uh, as to how you nurse the car through traffic. And this new tire represents more of last year's tire. So Expect to see a little bit of changes. Uh, Denny Hamlin has adjusted well. Keselowski admitted he's still trying to figure it out. Um, There are a few other drivers, I think, that it could actually benefit from this. But what we saw last week at Kansas and what we will see this weekend at Texas might not be totally the same. And you have to consider Texas was repaved before 2017. That pavement is newer smoother than kansas and just by that effect these same right side tires will not wear as much so uh the two tire gambit is plausibly on the table
0: that's exciting if you're a race fan who wants to see uh what chaos and maybe a a winner who disrupts that final four going into phoenix so that's a good thing uh so we've got the tire factor we've certainly got the clean air dynamic the new tire compound you add all that together. Who does that benefit amongst the playoff drivers? Uh, I mean, I guess the easy question is, or the easy answer is, whoever's in front, right? If one of these, if one of these contenders can get out in front, ultimately it will benefit them because they can play defense. And if they're as good at it as Joey Logano was, they may win the damn race. But so, but when you put in, when you mix in the clean air dynamic and the new tires, who do you think that benefits, David, amongst the playoff guys?
1: <laughs> Anyone in front. That's a good answer. I actually uh I took the easy no. way out. <laughs> you did. Uh I wrote down Alex Bowman's name. Uh this season in passing, he ranks 31st, which is dead last among those with average running positions inside the top 30. 31st in surplus passing value. That's important to know. He ranked 18th on a similar tire on mile and a half tracks last year. It's a it's a small jump, but it might be a jump that matters because finding balance in a car as he had to earlier this year on the old tires that seems to elude Bowman, but when he is in traffic, he can worm his way out to a degree, but that only seems to happen with a tire compound like the one he has now. We recall how he drove last year at Kansas and last year at Chicagoland. Uh, we thought he would be a sleeper at Homestead if he ever got that far. He's lacked that same punch so far this year, but hey, a top three finish last week at Kansas. Uh, I'd feel pretty good about his chances this weekend. I know he finished six at Martinsville earlier this season. I think this weekend, at Texas represents his best shot at winning and advancing to Phoenix just because of everything I mentioned.
0: Well, that's a good thing, David, because guess who my contrarian contender pick is for the week? It's Alex Bowman. (laughs) You can't ignore the speed. Um, If he gets out in front, as you just explained, I I don't even have to say anything, David. You were so eloquent in how you just put it (laughs) as to why Alex Bowman would be my contrarian contender pick. And, And again, even for all the evidence you just put down, I still think many people would not think of him as a potential winner for this race. Therefore, to me, that makes him a contrarian pick. So I'm rolling with the 88 of Alex Bowman.
1: Yeah, potentially a result that he needs the outright win. Uh, I'm going to go outside of the playoffs and I will point out that Daniel Suarez finished third at Texas twice in 2019 with Stuart Haas Racing. If you recall, SHR went first, second, third last fall with Kevin Harvick winning and Eric Almarola in second. And Clint Boyer finished second in the spring race in 2019. With the similarities entire and the notion that SHR is really, really good at Texas Motor Speedway, I will pick Cole Custer as Ooh. my contrarian candidate. Uh, he finished 14th last week in Kansas. I think he can do a bit better and finish inside the top 10 this weekend
0: good stuff for what uh, driver who will be the rookie of the year right, good that'll be an exciting uh, contrarian contender race to watch this weekend another good episode don't forget we are available on Apple Podcasts Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary and TuneIn we are available no matter your device our entire catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com if you like what you're hearing please leave us a rating or a review that stuff does help in spreading the word we notice them all you guys write the nicest things it's so appreciated so please give us more comments write down uh, tell a friend it's it's just so appreciated if you have any questions please send them to us on twitter at posreg p-o-s-r-e-g-p-o-d we love to answer those questions right here on the podcast david what are you working on you're always working on something this week on forbes.com i have a chase briscoe
1: transaction analysis already posted and I have a feeling that there will be at least one more analysis coming this week. I've also uh, prepared a weekend preview on behalf of BetMGM, focusing on the Texas race. So follow my Twitter account at DavidSmithMA for the links to all that good stuff, or Sign up, uh, go to motorsportsanalytics.com, sign up for my free email newsletter. I will just email you the stories once they are complete uh, so you don't have to log on to Twitter.
0: It's just going to pop up right in your inbox. Well, that's nice of you. <laughs> good yeah. stuff. Well, there. You know, I try to be courteous. Yeah, there you go, David. Always courteous. All right, good stuff there. I will be heading to Texas for the playoff weekend. Again, the trucks race on Sunday, Sunday at noon Eastern. Uh, that's before the cup race, obviously. So make sure you watch us on FM one Race 2 in that playoff round I'll be down on Pit Road Before that, check out my Twitter account For the A-List This week's A-List Last week's truck winner, Brett Moffitt So that'll be pretty entertaining Just make sure uh, either watch Race Hub, FS1 uh, Monday through Thursday, 6pm Eastern Good episode today For David Smith, I'm Alan Cavana. Thanks for listening to Positive Regression We'll see you next week